0: What if I never heal? Does that question sound familiar to you? Certainly does to me. Well, hey, Crossroads, it's so good to see you. My name is Melissa McDowell. I'm the creative arts assistant on staff, and I'm also a volunteer with the worship team and our junior high program. Today, I'm going to be talking about dealing with your past. Oh, boy, how do I address this topic in 33 minutes? It could be its own series, but I do have a game plan for this, and it is truly my honor and my joy to be your guide through this as it pertains to dating and marriage and relationships in general. Um, I was telling somebody that I was going to be speaking on this, and they said, um, "Uh, so you've got a past to talk about? (laughs) Well, yeah, we all got one. And I believe that each one of us could speak to this topic in some form or another. Some of us may already be in the process of dealing with our pasts, and that's going to look a little different for everybody. And others might not have even considered doing this, and some. Maybe you've already made peace with your past and you found healing. I can't possibly address each person's unique situation or everything that can be part of a person's past, but I have some overarching tips and tactics to go over that can be generally applied to pain and hurt and regret. And I think that everyone here will leave with something helpful today. Why is it important to deal with your past? Well, for some of us, our past is with us every waking moment. And for others, they just don't think about it and try to carry on as they normally do without, it, without realizing that it still affects them. Depending on what your past consists of, whether you're struggling to come to terms with something that happened to you or there was something that you regret doing or neglected to do, maybe a combination of things. Your past can have a huge impact on the quality of your daily life, influence your thoughts and behaviors in ways you might not even be aware of, color the way that you see the world and other people and sometimes completely neutralize your ability to love God and love others, which are our most basic commands from Christ. Ignoring or burying your past doesn't make it go away. And within the context of this series, especially if you're single or you're dating or just meeting new people and making new friendships and connections in general, In the beginning, you might be able to keep the effects and influences of your past at bay, but long-term, it's going to leak out in some form or another. It's going to surface eventually in your words, your behaviors, or attitudes. And you have to take responsibility for your own well-being and take the time to develop self-awareness of the ways that it affects you or you end up hurting people or hurting yourself. Jesus said, that he came to give us life and have it to the full. It's not God's will for us to be hung up about our past, to be trapped or dominated by it, to be crushed or imprisoned by it. That's Satan's tactic to keep us in despair. No matter what happened, our God is an awesome God, and you do not have to carry around hurt for the rest of your life. As I was preparing for this message, um, actually for the last several months, I've been borrowing a ton of books from our pastors and our other staff members here, mainly out of personal interest to see how I could address some of my own issues, but also because I know a lot of people who are going through tough times and I just wanted to be better equipped to help. Well, when I saw this topic on the schedule, I felt a pretty unmistakable shove from God to speak on it. And I started thinking, wow, what content should I include from all these amazing books? And I will share, you a few thing, share with you a few things here and there, but I really felt God telling me, you know, that's all well and good, but just focus on passing on what you've already learned from your personal experiences with me. So that's what I'm going to do now. I'm going to give a little bit of background info on my own past because I want to provide some context for the points that I'm going to be going over and also to show you that nothing is beyond the power of God. Everyone's past could be described as a long story, so I'm going to try my best to be as concise as possible. I'm eager to dive into the portion of our time where we go over specific strategies. All right, so my parents divorced when I was pretty young, and then my mom remarried a man when I was 13. He showered my mom with gifts and sent her flowers and strawberries at work and was super nice at first. But after they got married, he retired immediately and was a completely different person. He cursed. He yelled. He had an explosive temper. He called my mom the most vile and vulgar things. His life motto was, I don't get angry. I get even. I found out that he had been beaten as a kid by his father, but had hated his mother more for allowing the violence to occur, and so he grew up hating women. To him, they were just things to look down on and degrade, objects to use as he saw fit. This was a man who never dealt with his past. He would brag about how he hurt people in brawls and bar fights. He had a drinking problem and consumed porn. He would throw small objects in arguments. He threatened to break my mom's jaw on Mother's Day. He would use threats and intimidation to manipulate and control people. There were some stretches of relative normalcy. But for the most part, my family walked on eggshells with this man. He alienated my sister to the point where she moved out. He caused major division in my family, exacerbating relations between my mom and my dad. Pretty much everyone in my family who ever met or encountered this man would tell you that he degraded them or threatened or demeaned them. So my mom and this man... We're married for six years, from the time I was 13 to 19 years old. My teenage years, which are incredibly malleable and formative years. At the time of their separation, he went out of town briefly, and my mom changed all the locks on the house, and we all fled. And each person in our house stayed with different relatives in another city for a while because we were afraid of what he would do when he got back. My mom was able to get a restraining order at that time, but it was poorly enforced by the authorities. After that, during the divorce process, my former stepfather kept my mom entangled in court proceedings for eight years. We thought it would never end and that he had nothing better to do than to torment us. And many of my family members submitted written testimonies about his abusive behavior, including me. But none of it seemed to make any difference in the courts or mediation appointments. (coughs) Nothing seemed to go in our favor. And it was this long and dragged out and very painful and draining process. Now, for someone moving up through middle and high school and later college in that kind of environment, you could imagine that a person's self-esteem, anyone's self-esteem, would easily whittle away to zero over time. I homeschooled high school, and when I reached college, everyone around me was dating, and I really wanted to experience what that was like, and I really wanted a boyfriend. So I worked up the courage to ask out one of my friends on a date, but he ended up completely cutting me off after that one date. And I was utterly heartbroken, and I became severely depressed, because before that, I had thought that I was garbage and unworthy of being cared for in a romantic fashion. And I put all my hope in that date, and being rejected in that manner was like confirmation of all the distortions and lies from my past and the way that I had been treated. And those lies became my reality. I came to believe that love was fake, and romance was something I could never have, it was just not meant for me. And all the couples I saw around me must be faking it. It's all just a farce. And I wasn't really going to church at the time or reading my Bible. I was pretty out of touch with God, and I didn't really hear his voice because I wasn't tuned into it. It didn't help that my stepfather was a diehard atheist. I considered myself a Christian, but I was lukewarm at best. I listened to the world instead and completely bought into the cultural lie that your life means nothing unless you're in a romantic relationship. Everywhere, in movies, in music, TV shows, everywhere, romance is, well, romanticized. And if you don't have it, you can't lead a meaningful life and you have no worth. It's kind of hard to avoid that message as a single person who doesn't want to be single. God did create us for relationship with other people and with desire for companionship. It is absolutely not wrong to want someone to share your life with, but Satan can take something like that and distort it just a little bit and then twist it like a knife in your gut and keep turning and turning and turning it. So then believing these lies... I became severely depressed, extremely angry and bitter and numb all at once. And there were some other guys in college who had approached me or showed some interest in me, but I was a total jerk to them. I treated them with complete and utter indifference. Some of them were nice, but hey, so was my stepfather in the beginning. How could I trust them? I believed that men all had ulterior motives and sought to hurt me in the end. Adapting to what was truth for me, my plan was, Hurt others before they hurt you. It wasn't long after I had made this resolution that I encountered this endearing and charming young man, Mark McDowell, on a day trip to Japantown for one of my classes. And this is uh, Mark's Facebook profile picture uh, from nine years ago when we met. (laughs) I agreed to go out on a date with him. I mean, I really did kind of like him a little more than I wanted to admit, but I didn't want anything serious due to my fears. Also because he was gonna be moving away from the school where I was attending in just about a month and a half after I met him. But Mark really liked me and was pretty persistent with me and I was like, hey, uh, you know, I think you're getting a little too attached to me. We should just keep this casual, okay? You know, uh, let's just enjoy the time we've got and then when you move away, that's that. And that's become a bit of a running joke between us now, you know, like, hey Mark, you know, let's just keep this casual, okay? And now we're married. (laughs) I didn't want commitment. I fought attachment tooth and nail, but he showed me patience and tenderness and respect, and he didn't give up on me. And at one point, I asked him, Mark, what if I never come around? And he responded with two words Worth it. How do you not fall in love with that? Over time, God softened my heart and reeled us both into his presence and guidance and care. I no longer had any intentions of hurting people, but I was still terrified of the relationship and was scared that I would end up hurting him anyway. The major turning point for me was when, two years into our dating relationship, he proposed to me. and I re- realized I had some major issues I needed to address before I entered into a marriage. My dad, who's a minister and agreed to do our wedding, had us look for premarital counseling, which led us to crossroads. And imagine that on the first day that we came here to this church, there was an announcement for a premarital class. Being part of this church got us both tuned in to God's voice, which is what we had both desperately needed for ourselves and for our relationship. And I became equipped with the proper tools to prepare myself to confront my past. My family's story and the things that they experienced are the reason why we have been kind of forced to face and present some of these complex life issues to God and work through them knowing now how important it is to address our pasts what do we do once you've made that decision to go forward with this you need to prepare for battle obviously this isn't going to be a pleasant process This is a conscious decision made by you to expose yourself to discomfort and recall pain in order to reap the fruits of freedom and healing later. It's going to be a fight. And you don't just charge into battle without formulating a strategy and consulting with various advisors and assessing the resources and equipment at your disposal. So you know, in movies, you'll see the heroes training or working out and refining their skills, grabbing armor and buckling belts and taking weapons off the racks before they engage in an epic showdown. That's the kind of imagery I want you guys to have. Number one, first thing in battle preparations, suit up with scripture. The Bible says in Joshua, study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. When confronting your past, part of this is going to require making yourself vulnerable, and you're going to have to come up face-to-face with some of those lies and distortions about yourself or about other people, and you have to be ready to refute them with Scripture. The enemy will try to drag you down in bad memories, and you can get lost there without the Word of God reminding you who you are. So this is critical, you must bring God into every part of this process by immersing yourself in Scripture. Second, arm yourself with iron. This iron I draw from Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen, which is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Iron consists of people who encourage you, who inspire you, who give you hope, who help you grow, and who ultimately point you back to Jesus. Also in movies, you'll see that lone protagonist who's about to confront the main baddie or their nemesis or whatever, and they'll have friends who say, no, I'm coming with you. And then they say, no, I've got to do this alone. Don't be that kind of macho hero, because you're going to get your butt kicked. God intended for the body of Christ to serve as a place of healing and transformation. We were all gifted by God with different abilities to carry out his work. Cast a wide net. If you have a close friend you can talk to, great, don't stop there. One person, even if you have a significant other or a BFF or a spouse, cannot be expected to be your personal superhero. That's too much to expect from someone who is equally broken. Join a small group you can pray with. We have a pastoral counselor on staff, Jim Matthews. His information is on the back of your programs. Sometimes he gives mental health uh, and family workshops or seminars. For women, there's a new Celebrate Recovery group starting in a few weeks at our Fremont campus called Life's Healing Choices, which will focus on finding freedom from hurts, hangups, and habits through healing choices that promise true happiness and life transformation. So if you're interested in this, just write recovery on your communication card. Beyond this, look up support groups at your local hospital or counseling office. Get professional help from a doctor or therapist if you need that. There's no shame in that. The important thing is to establish a solid support system around you before you dive into the nitty gritty. And this is something I wish I had known a lot sooner. The next thing we need to work on is developing our emotional maturity. This is gonna suck for those of us who are emotional stuffers, but it is absolutely essential. We all need to learn how to, in a healthy way, experience and express the full spectrum of human emotion. The fact is that our God feels. He created us to reflect him. We are allowed to feel. We don't want to become robots and block or bury or deny our feelings, nor do we want them to control us, because as human beings that can easily happen. We must strive for a healthy balance between these two extremes, facing our feelings honestly in appropriate environments, and God can help us get there via the body of Christ and professional care and personal practice and meditation and prayer. It's not fun, but in dealing with your past, we must turn toward the pain toward it instead of away. It's our natural human inclination to avoid pain, but really, pain can be seen as a friend, something helpful that is alerting you to a problem within you that requires your attention. There are some medical conditions that exist, such as Hansen's disease, also known as leprosy, that affect a person's ability to feel pain. And what happens? They don't notice when an injury has occurred, and then they get infections and a bunch of other complications if it isn't treated. Tend to the pain of your past when you feel it's the right time for you, but don't allow it to reach critical mass. Don't wait until it gets really bad. You can pretend it's not there and put it off, but eventually it's going to come back to bite you, and you're going to wind up in some kind of crisis. We've got to sit down with God with those in our support system that he's given us, and take the time to face up to what happened. Go back in order to move forward. Whether it's something that happened to you, something that you did to hurt another person, or there's guilt for feeling like you fell short and failed in some way or another by not doing something, in each case, we need to be honest and then give ourselves permission to grieve. Most Christians don't think that they're allowed to experience things like sadness or fear or anger, but have you read the Bible? Like the Psalms of David or Jesus' own example of emotional expression. Why don't we take a look at Job real quick, one of God's most faithful servants who lost everything he had, his workers, his wealth, his children. First thing he did was fall to the ground and worship, and then later he poured his heart out. I cannot keep from speaking. I must express my anguish. My bitter soul must complain. I think my bed will comfort me and sleep will ease my misery. Totally a relatable sentiment to me. I don't know about you. But then you shatter me with dreams and terrify me with visions. I would rather be strangled, rather die, than suffer like this. I hate my life and I don't want to go on living. Wow. This is the dark side of the Bible. This is one of the most godly figures in the Bible. He doesn't beat around the bush about his pain or his tragedy. He is blatantly honest with both the friends that came to assist him and with God. Healing cannot happen without such raw connection And real relationship cannot occur unless you resolve to push through moments of potential discomfort and initiate and open up and allow others to love and care for you. On the flip side of this, if you're wanting to help somebody, remember it's got to be that person's choice to come to you. And you can't force them to confide in you. Just pray that they'll take those steps to find help and then trust in God to comfort them. Regra- regarding regret, because everyone in this room has done awful things to hurt people, just know that regret can be a good catalyst for change and motivates you to learn and grow and not repeat whatever mistake you made. But beware that Satan doesn't keep you crushed underneath it, halting you in your progress. He would love nothing more than to keep holding it over your head and torturing you with it indefinitely, making you oblivious to the forgiveness and grace of Christ. Let me tell you the first thing I was convicted to work on in my own journey of dealing with my past. When Mark proposed to me, I realized I really needed to get a hold of my anger because I didn't want to drag that into our marriage. I'd wake up angry every day, obsessed with all the things my former stepfather had gotten away with. When I started reading the Bible, I ran into the parable of the unforgiving debtor in Matthew 18, which really sobered me up to what I needed to do. Basically, Jesus explained through this parable that if you accept forgiveness from God for things that you've done, you are obligated to extend that forgiveness to other people, and you're going to suffer if you don't, which I can affirm was my experience being in daily pain. We need to forgive as we have been forgiven. Jesus emphasizes this in the Lord's Prayer too, and in other places. How do you go about doing this? I wanted to obey God, but my human nature was still so resistant. So I prayed that God would just first give me the willingness to forgive. Hey, I don't want to do this. I want to keep hating this person because he deserves it. But please make me open to forgiving this man. And it took me two years to do, but God worked with me. And just in time before Mark and I got married, I was able to say with confidence that I had forgiven him. So forgiveness took care of my anger problem and my daily obsession. That combined with actual application of loving your enemies. My mom and my former stepfather both lived in paradise. When the campfire hit, I wondered if he had anyone at all to help him out. Undoubtedly by God's power, I was able to pray that he would get connected to the resources he needed and find shelter in that crisis. And just a few days later, there was an article in the newspaper. A reporter had interviewed him. It said that he had been reunited with one of his siblings with whom he had been estranged, and she had offered to help him out. Now, I tried to reach out to him years ago after hearing that he'd had to go to the hospital for something, but he responded to me with the same bitterness and derision, and it caused me some further damage. You can love somebody from afar, who's abusive or toxic, by praying for them. If that person has not undergone sustained change, you do not have to talk to them in order to extend the love of Christ. The next thing to do is release your grip on human justice. Before the campfire, there were a couple of other fire warnings, and several years ago, some parts of paradise were under mandatory evacuations. During the evacuations, my stepfather assaulted my mom, and the physician's assistant who examined her made a mandatory report of domestic violence. But when the police officer interviewed her, he was completely unsympathetic and blamed the incident on her, and she ended up not pressing charges against him. I was completely livid, and I had a grudge against cops for a while, because they're supposed to protect the innocent, I hated my stepfather even more than I already had at the time. For that, and for dragging her mercilessly through the courts, and I was angry with the justice system for failing her there as well. Sometimes in life, the bad guy gets away with it. How do you deal? You read all the places in the Bible where it mentions God's justice. And trust in that and hold on to that with everything you've got. The entire Bible carries with it an overarching theme of justice. It's a part of God's character. Where human systems may be fallible, being run by fallible people, God never fails. Romans 12, verse 19 says, Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. If you just read through some of the psalms, for example, I mean, there's so much reference to justice everywhere in the Bible, to God's faithfulness and how he hears us when we cry out to him and how his heart breaks when his people suffer. If justice is something you're struggling with, I would encourage you to read Obadiah. It's just one chapter long and very clearly outlines what God does when someone persecutes his people. So have faith in God, and read about his justice yourself, and also let it be between God and that person. You might not see that justice carried out ever in your lifetime. You have to trust God. I have actually prayed for mercy for my former stepfather because I know what's coming his way if he doesn't accept Jesus into his life. In a similar vein, We also need to trust in God's sovereignty and accept that some of the questions we may explore while we're dealing with our past may remain unanswered. Questions like, why did this happen to me? How could God just let this happen? Or in my case, did this man ever genuinely care about me at all, at any point? Or was I just a pawn the whole time in his game of manipulation against my mom? Was there any good in him at all? even though I had forgiven him, that resolved my anger, but not my confusion. And these questions for the longest time swirled around in my brain like a big, black, tangled mass. The more I tried to follow one thread of reasoning and figure things out, the more it hurt me and the more I got lost. So eventually, I just resigned myself to the fact that I would just carry this big, black mass around with me forever. In January of this year, I had the incredible opportunity to go to Israel, and one of the places we visited there was the pools of Bethesda. It is at this site where Jesus heals the lame man in John chapter 5. This man was completely paralyzed, and he had been this way for 38 years, stuck beside a pool of water with healing properties that cured the first person to go in when it bubbled. So let's check this out. When Jesus saw him, And knew he had been ill for a long time. He asked him, would you like to get well? Simple yes or no question. But instead the man resigns himself to his condition and says, I can't, sir. The sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath, so the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. After reading this, we went inside a church on the grounds of the pools of Bethesda. And as soon as I had stepped inside... God's presence hit me like a tidal wave. It's hard for me to describe what happened. But I was stunned and overwhelmed, and I couldn't stay standing. I had to sit down in one of the pews. And I felt God saying to me then that my love for you is so strong and so immense. It's beyond anything that you can imagine. In the face of my power, that man who hurt you shrinks to insignificance. I am your defender. Do you want to be well? Pick up your mat and walk. And all those questions that were swirling around in my head that I had just accepted would always be there, melted away. They exist, but I don't care to explore them anymore. They don't matter. And instead of evil's torments, I have God's peace. I want you to know today that no matter what your past consists of, our God is in the business of healing and making things right. If he can conquer death and save your soul by sacrificing himself on the cross, don't you think he can also heal you of your earthly past? I don't mean to say that you'll never feel any pain ever again when you're reminded of something, But it doesn't have to dominate you or control you anymore. I invite you to allow your pain and those dark corners of your soul to be exposed to God's light via the conviction of his truth and the tenderness of his grace. Listen for him asking you, do you want to be well? And once you experience his healing, you have a responsibility now To make that obvious to other people, you have to carry your mat. Tell others what God has done for you. The miracles that we read about in the Bible still happen today. Remember that iron I talked about in the beginning? What's next when your true identity is revealed to be freedom in Christ? You become that iron for someone else. You'll be able to help guide hurting people to live in freedom from their pasts rather than in bondage to it. The Bible says that we'll be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. And to rephrase this in the words of the band thrice, every scar is a bridge to someone's broken heart. As the body of Christ, let's work to help each other heal by the power of God's miracles. Let's pray. Gracious God in heaven, today I pray that no matter where we might be in dealing with the pain of our pasts, that you would tend to any brokenness in our souls and tenderly piece us back together to become whole and new creations for your glory. I pray for your love to permeate and enfold each person here, reminding us that no evil can succeed in the face of your power. Grant us courage and strength, patience and compassion, peace and resolve. Help us as a church family stand firm in our faith and become that place of healing and transformation that you have intended. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.